everybody welcome to the 237th edition of the holy backboard podcast i'm dustin here in rip city and i got i i you fucked up not me (laughs) i got my man what's up mike what's up everybody thank you for that wonderful introduction and uh yeah uh All right, what's going on, man? It's been it's been a full week since we've last done this podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, the, the day before my birthday, uh, my parents came up and visited. We're all vaccinated, so we were able to touch and hug and be without masks, and you know, eat cake together, drink coffee. Uh, it's was incredible. It's been over. 13 months since that's that's taken place so you know taking you know a couple extra days off of work so got a long weekend uh i'm doing well how about yourself well you do have a a brand new gift for me the drew holiday in your dapper account thank you my dude (laughs) don't spend that six dollars in all in one place my guy (laughs) i'm gonna Hold on to it for a little bit, and uh, we'll see what what it's happens. It's pure profit for you. It's pure it's profit. Pure profit. So, <laughs> uh, appreciate that. Uh, I was um, super jealous when we did our pack openings, and you pulled that Nasir Little uh, dunk against the Timberwolves. So that was um, you. Definitely got the better of the pack openings. I think my best card was a nine dollar Dejounte Murray moment. Mine is the Nasir, and it's worth fourteen. I legitimately was going to give you to you, but the the gifting system you have to have it in your account for seven full days. And since our pack opening was two days ago, I, I couldn't. So I was just looking through my my uh, my uh, moments. I was like, he likes Drew enough. What sloppy seconds can I give Dustin now? <laughs> I was you know like <laughs> you know. Losing the six dollars that Drew Holiday would have netted me won't kill me. But if I gave you something <laughs> that I'm actively trying to sell, I'd be like, I don't need. I don't know if <laughs> I got to worry about myself. So, you know, Drew Holiday CC out of thirty five thousand. I thought, you know, you'd like it more than the PJ Tucker that was uh, Plan B. I wanted to get you a Nurkic or a Nasir or a Dame or a CJ, but it wouldn't have gotten to you before your birthday. But I am well. I have been selling moments on Top Shot pretty, pretty consistently. So if you need a Kawhi Leonard for thirty dollars, holla at your boy. But uh, yeah, we, I'm doing good. I just got done with the family Zoom. It was it was fun. I enjoy seeing the fam. Every two weeks we have a Zoom meeting where we just talk and bullshit, and it's cool. So I, I'm uh, very happy with uh, how I'm doing today. So. Let's talk about the Blazers so we can get the opposite. As I was thinking about it, the introduction was spot on for how the Blazers have been playing lately. It was an incredibly rough week uh, in in Rip City. I didn't think it could get much worse than last week when we were on talking about 
the losses to Miami, Boston, and Charlotte. But the Blazers, Sage, they have outdone themselves yet again. It, they they did. I think it's pretty it's pretty tough to go zero and four at home and even have the same team beat you twice in a row at home. But that's what the Blazers did. There were a lot of close, hotly contested games, but at the end of the day, four games went in the loss column and none in the win. And the Blazers, they started it off without Dame and without Yusuf Nurkic. They lost on TNT to the Los Angeles Clippers at 112 to 113. The following night, both Dame and Nurkic return. They lose again to the Denver Nuggets on a last second shot that didn't drop in by Norman Powell, 106 to 105. For the first time all year, the Blazers lost a game when they scored over 123 points. They lost in a shootout to the Memphis Grizzlies, 130 to 128. I believe Jordan Kent said they are now 17 and one when they score over 123 points. So that's a tough one to swallow. And then Sage, Sunday matinee, no Jaron Jackson Jr. for the Memphis Grizzlies. You would have thought they would have came out with a little bit more umph, urgency, whatever verb, noun, adjective you want to throw in there. Wasn't there. Memphis almost gave it away at the end, but they were in command really from the jump. Portland loses 120 to 113. Sage, the Portland Trailblazers, they have dropped to 30 and 28 on the season. Two full games in the loss column back of the Dallas Mavericks for sixth and just two games ahead of the Golden State Warriors for 10th. They've lost five straight games. They've lost 10 of their last 13. It's getting to a point where they're not even protecting home court. They're now 16 and 16 at home. They've got a six-game road trip coming up. And all of this, all of the foundation that they had built up this season started to crumble after winning four straight games on the road right after the trade deadline. So it's interesting to see how it's all kind of manifested because you look at the schedule, Sage, and yes, it picked up. But when you looked at it, maybe after the All-Star break, or excuse me, um, once the second half of the schedule was released because they released it in chunks, it wasn't really as daunting as, as it appeared to be. The Clippers were without Patrick Beverly, Serge Ibaka, and Kawhi Leonard. The Denver Nuggets are, were without Jamal Murray. The Memphis Grizzlies played one game without Jonas Valanciunas, the other one without Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, the, the, the Charlotte Hornets were without their three top scorers. So you start going down the list of teams, and they're without a lot of talent as well. It, it's really tough to see how this team can turn it around. You know, we mentioned losers of 10 of their last 13. Those three wins, nothing really to hang your hat about. Uh, an Oklahoma City Thunder team that was basically just decimated with injuries. Uh, the Detroit Pistons without Jeremy Grant and the San Antonio Spurs without LaMarcus Aldridge. And that even had to come on the heels of a 16-point third quarter comeback where we won by one point. So there's not a lot to really be positive about. Um, it, it, it's, it's bleak. I, I, I don't know what's going on. I suspect a lot of the same things that, that we have discussed on end uh, over the course of past couple of months, Sage, whether it's the, the coach 
being tuned out, the shot selection kind of uh, biting the Blazers in the butt a little bit, the lack of defensive strategy. I mean, you name it. There's not just one player, one person, one area to really put the blame on. And that makes it tough to address because it's almost like a ship and it's got, it's starting to leak. And maybe you put some some tape or some gum in and you stop one, but then two others sprout on other sides of the ship. So now you're kind of scrambling around to fix those two. And then while you're doing that, the one you originally thought was patched up bursts right open. Uh, the Blazers are like a dam right now. I mean, everything is coming through and it, it just feels like it's only a matter of time before before it you know comes to a head. I think that the expectations of the team itself has changed in the last few days. I think there was for a while we were thinking playoffs, but now it's kind of like, let's get healthy because Dame was out for three games health and for his health and rest. And then you saw Yusuf be out for, for a game. I think now it's like, let's try and stay healthy and do something in the playoffs. Now before it was, well, we're going to be a top six seed. So the kind of the, adjustments of your expectations have gone down you know like a lot of people think it's competing and tanking there's a whole list of what teams are doing and i just think we're trying to focus on health and whatever happens happens but i would say that i did see yusuf nurkic play some really good basketball this last few few games um and we've done something that i don't think that I've seen in my time as a Blazers podcaster, we went after a weakness over and over and over and over again with the Memphis Grizzlies. They didn't have Jonas for game one, and we continue to go after that. And I mean, like Xavier Tillman's a great player, but he's only six, eight. So we attacked that mismatch throughout the game. And of course he missed that last shot, but it doesn't take away from his, his wonderful game. And then today he played really well. So there, there is a lot of gloom, but to see Nurkic play the way that a lot of people fell in love with him is a uh, good point. But for me and my expectations, it's health, not playoffs currently. I would say Nurk easily had the best two games yeah, absolutely. Of, of his season. The first game against Memphis, 26 points, 11 of 15 from the floor. 17 boards, five assists. You're looking at a steal and a block, just two turnovers, played 29 minutes, which is huge. And he was a team best plus nine. Mm-hmm. Today, this afternoon, excuse me, he goes 29 minutes again, 16 points, 19 rebounds, five assists, you know, a steal, two blocks, minus seven on, on the plus minus. That's a, the, the plus minus is a very, it, it it's a stat that it shouldn't be it's it's very busy i think like when i watched yusuf i thought he played really well he did play really well but to play devil's advocate on both yusuf and the team it's disheartening for me to say we finally got that bosnia beast that we've been talking about our second most important player it was pretty much peak nurk especially in that first game you mentioned going to work he wasn't just carving up the defense as a distributor. We were actually running offense through him and he was doing his patented uh, baseline spin off the glass with his right hand. And making it. 
and making it and, and we, we still lost. So that that's that's one. The second area that I want to bring up is you mentioned over and over and over again until we stopped. I, I tweeted this out that there was a mark around the 330 mark of the game in that first Memphis game. Terry called a timeout and then either Memphis called another timeout or the, the media timeout kicked in. Essentially it was it was back to back timeouts. And there were zero attempts for Nurk in the final 3.30 of that game, aside from that bunny that he missed with like two seconds on the shot clock. We ran zero action for him. Nothing. We, it was the same, same mismatch he had, whether it was Tillman, Brandon Clark, Jaron Jackson, it didn't matter. They had nobody that could stop him. And either Damian or Terry didn't see it, didn't call for it. Um, the inability for our team to spot the biggest of mismatches is so incredibly troublesome because that game should have been gift wrapped. We should have won by double digits again. Like we lost four games this week. We should have won them all by 10 plus. And I'm not, I don't think that's hyperbole. I think the Blazers played uh, some uninspired basketball and they played some, some dumb basketball. And I don't, I, I don't think any, stretch of basketball sums that feeling up for me more than the final three and a half minutes of that game, because you were right, Sage, he was looking beautiful out down there. Like it, it was the, the Bosnia, it was Nurk fever level. It was not pick and roll. Like it, it was get him the ball and he is going to work nineties basketball, like unstoppable. And the fact that we didn't go back to him, I am, I know Damien's a smart player. I know CJ's a smart player. But I want to know why. Like, how, as a fan, I shouldn't be here critiquing the team over not finding a mismatch. Like, but that, that should have. That's what we do for years. It's not, it's this, the, the beautiful thing of this is that we attacked it for 45 minutes. It isn't that it, we went away from it for three. That is, per, that is pure that is pure stops right there. If it doesn't work once, we stop. Or actively attacking it for 45 is the 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 strange thing, not the the going away from it. That that's expected. But the 45 of good was 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 is it was a humongous change from what what it was. And that we talked about it. When shit gets difficult, you revert back to what's gotten you there and Something changed in the last three minutes and 48 seconds of the game. So I am not a Terry Stotts fan, but I also think a lot of that falls on Damian and CJ's shoulders. And I'm going to be pretty, that, that's how they I'm play. Be pretty critical of both of them over this podcast because they, they need to play better. And for the guards, and this is Damian Lillard. So he has been known to not do what Terry asks. I mean, even go back to game six against the Houston Rockets. That play is called for LaMarcus Aldridge. And Mo Williams says, hey, you need to take this shot. Dame says, fine. All right, bet. Calls for the ball, hits the shot. Like, so Dame is not a, I mean, he has so much just clout and equity built into this organization that he can call his own shot. Like, he can call his own plays on the fly. Like, you expect that he's the, he's the leader. He's a floor general. We have to find that. And I think it's not. I think my problem is it's not an isolated incident. So you look at Portland and you can say, oh man, like that, that's just bad luck. 
so many one point one possession losses, but it, it's really not bad luck. It's a combination of terrible decisions that mount up and you look back and you can point to four or five things and say, well, that, that, that's your loss right there. And you can kind of break it down by the game. So if, if you want to even go back to the, the Los Angeles game, we did not have Dame. We did, we, he, he was not there. Neither was Yusuf. One, one possession game. And we had CJ McCollum and Carmelo Anthony combined to shoot 16 of 44. The rest of the team was plus uh, 50%, 26 of 50. Uh, Covington and Cantor only took six combined shots. Anthony Simons was having a really nice shooting night. He was four of eight. He was cooking from downtown. There was zero distribution of shots. I mean, you're, you're right, Sage. Things were kind of a little bit uh, adverse, tough, if you want to say. And we reverted back to isolation basketball. Uh, quick, quick shots from CJ and Carmelo. And I wouldn't say they were regularly good shots either, uh, contested. Um, you go to the Denver game. Again, a close situation. In a lot of these games, Portland is building up a six to eight point lead with a couple of minutes to go. And they're either turning the ball over or they're not taking care of their, their offense. They're, they're not valuing the possession. You, you look, I believe, two of the last three possessions against Denver, you have Damian takes a, a wing three, deep contested, doesn't even come close. Nurkic, on the other hand, is pulling from, from three. Late in, the, late in the game, when his legs are probably gone, airballs it. The second to last possession, Dame has Jermichael Green on him, and he finally goes to the rack and scores. Where, where is that attacking the rack mentality? And you look and, and you can see why we're losing games. Our shot selection is atrocious. We have, we have no discipline on offense. I mean, you, you watch, don't just watch the closing minutes of a close game, watch how we play for, for, from the tip off. That's the same team that, that closes games out. It's a lot of, Oh, pull up, you know, three on one fast break. I'm going to pull up for a three or I get the ball. I haven't shot in three or four minutes. I'm, I'm going to, you know, put up a, a contested jumper. That's who we are. And that's, that's not winning basketball. And I don't think it's a coincidence that it's finally starting to catch up to us. Like we've been, We've been probably, and we talked about our, our, our net uh, points per game on offense versus what we allow. We've been in the negative. Like, Dame time was a reason. So, Dame time and our easy schedule were the reasons we were fighting for home court advantage. You see the level of play intensify. You see Dame come back down to earth a bit. And I, I really don't think it's a coincidence that we've struggled so mightily to close out games. I mean, for the first 43 minutes of a game – it matters, but it doesn't matter nearly as much as the last five minutes. The defense is going to play so much harder and so much more disciplined in that last five minutes. So to play with the same type of offense as the first 43 and expect it to work in the last five is kind of naive because that's winning time. That's game time. That's winning time. So you can't you can't expect the same shots the the quality of shots to happen when paul george is motivated to defend you or whoever the lead defender is he isn't going to let you have that easy shot in the last five minutes so it, it shows that we're we're not adapting to the situation the last five minutes finishing five that was like 
month one of the Holy Backboard, we talked about how in, important those last five minutes are. Um, I think that there's something wrong with Dame in terms of probably injuries. I mean, he's kind of like our Allen Iverson where he's just, he gets beat up. He doesn't have the same burst that he did earlier in the year or even in, in the mid part of the season. He, he, he doesn't have that, that, that fifth gear. And if he does have the fifth gear, it's very, it, it happens one or two plays and then it's back to normal. So I think that there is something wrong with Dame and uh, it, it needs to be addressed now or we're just going to be out of the playoffs entirely because we need him to be that peak Dame for us to win games against elite teams because, you know, mid, mid-tier Dame versatile and as good as he can be. So I, I think that there's something wrong with Dame and that that's why that he doesn't get the quality of shots that you expect when he drives it on Jermichael Green or who whatever power forward you want to you want to throw out there. I, th- I think that there's something wrong. He could have gotten by Jermichael. I, I think he's I will. He's settling right now. I I honestly hope he is banged up a bit because if he's not then you start to wonder, okay, are we is peak Dame are we past peak Dame? Because if we're past, and I, I don't believe that to be true, but if we are, then, I mean, we're in for a whole other discussion, but you're right. Like w- what is wrong with Damian Lillard? I- is he hurt? Because if he's even 80%, he needs to rest because we're clearly losing with him on the floor. The we're, That's where we're at. We're at health, not competing. Because he has been a completely different player in the month of April. He's played nine games, 22 points per game, 38% from the field, 34 from three. He's only getting to the line six times, which is significantly lower than the rest of the season, shooting just 79% from the line. His assists are significantly down, just two assists per game. And you, you look at his some of his April stats, he's only eclipsed. 30 points once. And that was the first game in, in the month of April against the, the Milwaukee Bucks. The even more troubling statistic for me is he's only had more than six assists twice. You're looking at a player who was averaging eight and that that's pretty tough. And so I think he's also trying to force it. Um, maybe he rushed his way back. It, I mean, after the Clipper loss, Chris Haynes tweeted, Damian Lillard is returning. So clearly Dame, texted Haynes and said, I'm coming back because you look at how he's performed. And I thought he really forced it down the stretch against that first Memphis Grizzly game. Uh, He had a deep contested three in the closing moments and then to try and hit the game winning shot. He dribbled the ball into an oblivion and attempted a a fadeaway jumper in the paint over Dylan Brooks. I mean, neither were even remotely close. So he's, he's always said that he's fine taking the final shot. And, and I love that about him because he can handle the, the highs and the lows that come with that. But he wasn't even, he had tunnel vision. I mean, the blinders were on uh, uh, late in those games. I've also noticed that this is hard to say whether it's true or not, but just from my, my fan perspective, he doesn't seem to be as focused or locked in Um I, I, again, I don't know if that's part of Terry losing the locker room, but you can just tell in a lot of his passes where off of one foot, kind of high arcing, really lazy, lackadaisical, um, treating it like a preseason game. 
so many unforced turnovers. Uh, and again, we all know how bad we are in transition on defense. That that have played a role. And I, I, I was going to bring this up after the Utah game, but I'm so I'm very cautious when I'm critical of of Damian Lillard because of the responsibilities that come with being a franchise player and how gracefully he handles it and how well he just represents this team and this organization. Like he loves being a trailblazer. That hasn't always been the case for a franchise player. So uh, there are times when I just let things like, that's just Dame. He's going to be fine. Like he's put in the, the time, the effort, everything there that, you know, things will, will improve. But one thing that hasn't improved is, is the defense. And I noticed it, especially after the Utah game in Utah, he's so quick just to accept the switch on defense rather than fight through the screens. And I've seen him at times flat footed on, on the defensive end of the floor. And I think that's also difficult for this team when we're historically bad defense, that even though Damian is our leader, if he's trying to talk to our team about getting better on defense, those words are going to ring hollow because he is one of the culprits of our defense. Like we don't have a defensive leader. We don't have a Draymond. We don't have a Wesley Matthews or an Ed Davis. Like we did in the past, even a Buck Williams or, or a Brian Grant or Scotty Pippen. Like we haven't had that player this year that has the locker room's eyes, ears, and, and full attention. Like Damian has that on a holistic, you know, perspective. But when you kind of drill down and say, okay, defensively, we need to get better. Damian really doesn't have much room to talk because he's been, you know, such, you know, he, he struggled mightily on, on that end. And when CJ and Nurk went down, you definitely let a lot of that slide because of the, the burden that is being put on his shoulders offensively that he's carrying the team for 40 minutes offensively. So of course you, you don't expect the type of effort you need on the defensive end when those players are out. But now that we're at basically full strength, it needs to be better. And like I said, I, I hope he is somewhat injured because that is an explanation. And you can say, okay, like once he gets healthy next season, like everything's going to be better, but this is one of the roots of the problem is defensively we're, we're struggling and we don't have a coach that can hold those players accountable. So Damon and Terry may have a good relationship, but I don't think they have the type of relationship where Terry can say, Dame, it's gotta be better. Or you can't just allow the, 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 the switch to happen so easily on, on the pick and roll. Like Popovich has benched Tim Duncan before. And I think that's one of Terry's downfalls is he doesn't have that, just that asshole in him, which we've talked about that Terry needs to do if he wants to save his job and nothing has changed. And we can, we can all kind of see how, how it's going to unfold. Um, it's unfortunate, but that's, that's the Blazers. And if you don't have Damian Lillard at a hundred percent, you have no shot. Like we, we need our MVP candidate. And right now he's not even playing at an all-star level and yeah, it's it's easy to see why these losses are mounting up, and it's a lot to do how the roster was constructed. Like you said, Dames are Allen Iverson, and if your if your best player can't bring it or isn't able to, you're not going to have a, a good a good chance to to win. 
So, <clears throat> I've been while you were talking, I was looking up some stuff. Um, uh, Dame in the regular um, so far this season drives to the hoop fourteen percent of uh, fourteen times a game, which is a lot for uh, for a guard. But I focused in the last uh, ten days. And he's dropped down to like Derek Rose, Taylor Horton Tucker, Cole Anthony, Steph Curry uh, amount of drives. He's dropped down so much in the drives per game. So it shows that, you know, either he's falling in love with the shooting because he doesn't want to get hit or his body can't take the punishment of driving so much. I, I don't ever want to critique a player in terms of like his output i think that all of the players play well they put in as much as they can i mean when you're like dame you put in as much effort as you your body can handle i think and yeah obviously he is one of the biggest uh reasons for our defense not being as good as it can be you've mentioned that he he like really forces the switch defensively but i i think that it i think that that his whole body is not feeling well. I, I haven't seen him really go for, you know, that good, that hard defensive assignment unless actively piss him off. So I, I think that he definitely has flaws, but when you look at what he's doing with carrying our offense, like our offense wouldn't be anything without him, even if he's struggling. And I, I, I'm looking at his stats from March 17th till now. And he's like, he handles the ball, like peak Russ, peak James Harden. We rely on him so much. So I I don't know. Like, yeah, I see it. I see the defensive lapses and I see him not wanting to engage, but it's like, dog, he carried us for so long. I'm willing to, to let him be a little more passive defensively and, yeah, it, it, it sucks, but look what he's done with such little offensive help for so long. And now that Damon's and now CJ's back, he's kind of negatively regressing offensively, but he's still like it without him even at his regression, our offense is trash, our defense is continuously gonna be trash. So it's tough. Um going to CJ. I dislike his shot selection a lot recently, but it's, what I have he's seen, reverted, he's reverted back. I, unfortunately. I, I would argue that yes, he has reverted back offensively in terms of like shots and attempts, but I've seen him board and get assists at a level that that's like playoff CJ. For me, it's kind of like golf positive plays versus negative plays. So when I see CJ do something great, it's like, damn, only he and the elite group of people in his level can do that. And then I see plays where that passes eight feet off the mark. That's tough. It, it's, it's really weird. Like there's so many positive than negative plays by CJ. It's, it's tough to really like, there, there's like three or four minutes a game where it's just beautiful and awesome. Then he'll follow it up with, a really bad turnover or two really bad shots. So it, it's tough. It's, it's really tough to pinpoint what's wrong because you see all of these positive plays every game and then you see these negative plays like a minute later. 
I, 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 re- I really would like, I think that it's something with Dame's body that's making him not want to drive as much or. Well, he also doesn't get a lot of calls and he, he gets bumped, he gets hit and it, it's clear he doesn't get the call. And I, I agree with him. Like at a certain point, if you don't get the calls, like what, what's the point uh, of going to the hoop um, to your point about now CJ, I have really appreciated the, the rebounds that he's putting in. You can tell he is working hard on the defensive end of the floor, but you also see that it is a flawed backcourt. Absolutely. When, when, it's worked. We, we've got to the Western Conference Finals, but that's when Dame was playing at, at, at a level that we need him to be at, and CJ can get close to that. But when they are both struggling, it, it's it's damn near impossible for us to win in the means that we like to play. Our style of play is very feast or famine. You, you take CJ's month of April. He has taken 248 shots and has only scored 282 points. That's just 1.14 points per shot attempt in the 13 games during the month, just 28 free throws attempted. So he's averaging 21 points on 19 field goals and two free throws. You're essentially Dame and CJ are essentially taking 50% of the team's shots. And I would argue that they're not the best of looks. And we talked about it last last week about how them as a duo, they, they take the most amount of shots together and neither of them are, I would say, incredibly efficient. Oh, CJ was starting but- down that path before he got hurt because he was shooting so well on volume threes. And obviously threes are worth more than two. But right now, with the way that we are playing and the way that we're set up to play, and you said it when you were talking about Damon, like how he's has the ball in his hand so often, uh, the offense is basically built around he and CJ just trying to make lemons out of lemonade that you know out of lemons. What I'm trying to say is, you can really start to see the cracks in the Blazer Foundation. Like they are all becoming alarmingly large, and it's not just one thing. But when you when we're talking specifically about a small backcourt that neither is a plus defender, neither I would say is pass first, both need the ball in their hands. It's it is such a bummer that we are having this discussion that it's not working. I love both of these guys so much. I think they're amazing people off the court. I've enjoyed watching them on the court, you know, over the last eight, nine seasons. And to be to be blunt, it, it fucking sucks that we are struggling this bad with such a talented roster. Because I've wanted to prove the the doubters wrong all along that this backcourt can get it done. And we were so close two years ago. And it just seems like after that run, nothing has gone our way. And even when CJ looked like he was taking the all-star leap, he gets hurt. And I would I would say he's not even back to where he was last year. Like he just doesn't look right either. And he's, he's reverting back. It's I'm kind of at a loss. But I mean, you're, you're talking about issues that have been longstanding since the D, the Dame uh, CJ era, but it worked though. Like we were winning. Yeah, but it wasn't consistent. It, we've always had these problems of 
where do we get easy buckets? Where do we get easy buckets? Fast break? No. Free throws? Sometimes, but not really. I mean, Kobe I assists? Say, not really. I would say the easy buckets could be fixed with a coaching change. I mean, you play but, a little I more. mean, we, that that isn't going to happen in the next 13 games, right? No, and I don't think a coaching change in the next 13 games fixes anything. I'm just talking about in general. Like, it was working. Like, you, you saw playoff success. You saw playoff failures. But I, I think a lot of those you could tie back and say, take the New Orleans series, for example. I think a better coach wins that series for Portland. We were not yeah. prepared for that. Now you're starting to see, okay, either Dame's hurt or not all the way 100%. CJ got hurt and is trying to work his way back, but then it's just a, a cluster uh, of everything. Like it's almost like Murphy's law. What what can I'm you know scared to say it like what can go wrong, you know? I mean, I, I, th- I, I these have been problems that you've known for like five, six years. It's it's rearing its ugly head now, but you've known that this shit happens. You know that we we have these flaws, and it's just getting exacerbated now because we're we've lost four in a row. These pl- these problems have always been here. We just we just ignored them when we were winning. Now that we're losing, it's like oh, these have been here for a while. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's this coach, this, this team, these problems have been there for long as this, this core has been together. I'm looking at Dame's free throws per game and it started at like eight. And then I looked at it now and he's getting five. So like, there's, there's just so many reasons why this stuff isn't working. And it's a damn shame because it's probably the last year that this core will be, be together. So I want to get your thoughts. What, I fully believe that Terry has lost the locker room and I don't think anything cemented it more than after the Memphis game. So situation for those who would like a refresher or a reference point, Portland's down three, two seconds left. We're at the free throw line shooting two. We do have a timeout. So you make both, you could still foul, call timeout, inbounds from half court. And you have a good look with maybe one, one and a half seconds left. Dame went on to make the first and miss the second. Media member asked Terry Stotts, what was the strategy? Terry Stotts did not know. He was like a broadcaster who was a former coach that they usually bring on. And you know, he said, you know, in that situation, I, I, w- I would have done this or I would have done that. He didn't definitively say our strategy was X. He said, you'd have to probably go ask Damian Lillard. I just about was floored when I heard that comment, because you're the head coach, the direction should be coming from you, whether you wanted them to miss it or whether you wanted them to make it, there should be no blurred lines there. So I, I thought that was a damning comment. I wanted your thoughts on that Sage. You know, if you want to look for stuff to fire him about, there's a lot. It's it's not about fire. I mean, I think we're, we're beyond that. I think now we're just talking, like chance to you're a head coach. Like you should know what's, what's the strategy, right? I think that the the strategy was probably make both foul and then get that last shot. It didn't happen. And I, I, I think Dame knew that he missed, it was going to miss the shot. 
because of the way he reacted. But I think that until Dame says otherwise, I think that he was actively trying to score and it just didn't happen that one time. You know, I, I, I just, what, think what did Dame say to that? Cause I, I don't watch Blazers uh, stuff after the fact. Uh, I think Casey Holdall tweeted that Dame was trying to make it that I don't think that's my, my qualm. My, my, my issue with that is the coach couldn't say, no, our strategy was this. Like there was nothing definitive about it. It was like, yeah, yeah, you can have to ask Damian Lillard about that. But that's not what I want from a head coach. The head coach needs to be the, the captain of the ship. Like everything comes from them and everyone kind of goes along with it. Like that's what the great organizations have done. And you look at the Atlanta Hawks. Lloyd Pierce wasn't getting it done. They fired him midseason. Hawks are now 19 and seven since uh, Nate McMillan made that coaching change. And I'm not saying if you fire Terry now, it's going to do anything, but I sure wouldn't uh, oppose it because it's one less distraction. I mean, you, you, you can see him in the interviews post game. He, he knows it's coming. You look at the players playing, they know it, it's coming. It's, it's the most, it's, yeah, it's the obvious that it's going to happen. It's the worst kept secret in basketball right now. Like, why not just get it out, get it over with that. That's, that's kind of where I'm at right now, because then at least it, one you look at the schedule and you look where the Blazers are, it really can't get much worse. So maybe you, you, you light a fire under them and they go on a mini run and you're able to save some grace from the season. And then everyone knows, okay, the Blazers job's opening up. Might be easier to uh, recruit Norman Powell back to Portland and say, Hey, we know this didn't work, but here's, here's who we're looking at. Here's the role that we envision you playing. Um, but I think the longer we, you know, keep that bandaid on or, or slowly pulled off. I think the worse it is for, for the organization um, long-term on, on all fronts. I mean, for, for Terry too, like it's, I, 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 I know he's not having pers- fun. Yeah. No. I, he's not having fun. I don't have anything personally against him as a human being. It's just, it, it's time to, to move on and almost just like, just like, you know, put, put him out of his, his coaching misery. Like he's, he's not having a good time out there. And, it's it's been nine years. It's not like it hasn't been an unsuccessful nine year run, but uh, you you just every time we podcast age, there's just more and more almost just like bewilderment. I mean, you look at that first Memphis, you look at both Memphis games. They came into that averaging just a little over 113 points per game. They score 130 the first one, 120 the second game. Uh, we allow 74 points in the paint. That was the most allowed we've all, all season. And on the Friday performance, our transition defense continues to be just atrocious. Uh, the lazy passes, there was a poor, you know, just there's just no energy to start the game. I mean, zero. I mean, you, you look at this team and the team doesn't look like, look like they're having fun. Um, I think if you gave Terry Stott's truth serum, he thinks he could, he can fix it. And if he finally says, I can't, then it's absolutely time to fire him. But I, I mean, it's coming. I think as soon as the, if and when we get eliminated, he'll get fired in the next three days. I, I have been pretty anti-stats for our entire careers do broadcasting. I'd give him the last 20 games of to try and make something work. And if it doesn't, peace. Like, I, I have no I, problem I with them. We all watched the last dance last, uh, last April. And it was, uh, the ownership that told, you know, Phil Jackson, you could go 82 and own win a championship. You're not coming back. 
we're not at that levels, but the Blazers would damn near have to make the NBA finals at this point. Um, I think we're all aware and, and I'm seeing more and more people and I'm not saying you're right or you're wrong. What kind of direction you fall on when it comes to this franchise and Terry stats, but I think you're seeing more and more people agree or, or think that moving forward from Terry is, is the, is the right direction for both parties. Like, again, this man's not, I think if you gave him truth, truth serum, I'd say like, just let me go. Like I, I'm done with it. I, I don't think you can do that with the job that he has that mentality. You got to have hope. I, I would just let him have his, his, his time with the coach, with the team and the coaches and then the bonds that they've all shared. I wouldn't take it away from him just to take it away from him. I mean, the coaches that I want are going to be in the playoffs. They're going to be competing for, for the chip. So, you know, let, let, let Terry deal with all of the, the logistics of the playoffs. He'll lose. He'll, uh, and then we'll bring in Charles Lee and Darvin Ham and uh, Amy Adoka and all these play, all these coaches that have ideas. I'm just, I, if it was me, I just, you know, you know, you know, it's going to happen. Enjoy the last 20 games with, with, with your team. I would uh, sever ties yesterday. But I, I don't think Jim... I don't think the, the the team would. But I would. Yeah, I I would I would have fired him already. I I don't think you have anything to lose at this point. The, the season is in shambles. Like there there's no sugarcoating it on this podcast. There's very little to to be happy with. Um, I actually liked a lot of the comments I heard from because they usually do a a halftime report with one of the assistant coaches. Yeah, that was that. Um... Jim uh, Moran, that coach was talking some real shit. Was was yeah, saying like we are not getting back on defense. Like we got to get into the, we got to stop their pick and roll, and we got to defend the paint. And he was he was honest. It was refreshing. And do I want him to be the long term coach of the Blazers? No. no. But just like when the team turned on Nate McMillan in 20, 2012, it, it was time. The team may not be turning on Terry, but the way they're playing isn't doing him any favors. His coaching isn't doing the team any favors. It feels like we're in toxic relationship territory. So I see where you're saying in terms of letting him have those final few games with this team. I think that the the more time they're together, it may it, it could derail the bonds, the real human bonds that they have grown over the course of nearly a decade together. Like I, I think it would be best. Like I said, who are we bringing in? Like, there's so much. No, like, who Jim would we Rant, bring in? Just let Jim Morant finish the season. That's usually what they do. They don't fire a whole staff. They just let the head coach go. So they, you know. But you, you also have to think like, okay, Tibbetts and Morant. That you got to think about. Let's keep those guys employed too, because if we bring in someone new, they're gone. They're gone. I I don't know. Like it's, I don't You're find asking. that this is a big deal at all. Like. Just let just let the old man have his last nah. you know few days with the team. He's still going to get paid. Uh, I, to me, it's one less distraction. Like, the but then it's a whole the- m- new distraction. Like implementing the coach has to implement a strategy, unless you want him to run the same strategy that's failing. <laughs> I mean, look at the Hawks. Nate McMullen was on that staff. The the team clearly 
but they had more time to work it in. And then I, I, I agree, but they responded to a new voice. I think sometimes just even a new voice. I, I 100% believe that whatever Terry is saying, and it could be the right thing, it has fallen on deaf ears. They are no longer listening to what he has to say. Uh, you look at, again, the, the Memphis game, the first one, when we are in need of a, of a bucket. What do they do under the inbounds play? We have Jordan Lamar saying, oh, here comes the high-low. Here comes the high-low. Everybody and their mother knew we were trying to run a high-low, and Memphis was covering that. So Nurk has to take a, a forced you know, you know, pirouette layup. Same scenario again. We're down three today. We're trying to run high-low again, and Norman Powell ends up throwing the ball away because Memphis knows exactly what we're trying to do. I, I don't think... But I think the players fucked up on that second one. Like that's the spacing was fucking atrocious. Like if Norm passed it to anybody voice, outside of Cov, that will that it was going to be a turnover 99% of the chat time. You're not wrong. Not all of this is on the coaching, coaching staff. But what is on the coaching staff is not holding the players accountable for these terrible decisions. So like I said, maybe you just get a spark. Like right now, to me, it's clear the direction. Of, of the franchise this season. Maybe you maybe you get a big run. I mean, this team historically has closed out season strong, so maybe it happens. Again, my, my whole philosophy on it is the coaching candidates that you want to talk to, they have more time to think about it now. They're like, okay, that Portland job's opening up. Because that's but, a life decision for them, but too. The big, that's the worst-kept secret in the NBA that we're going to fire them. Like, uh, Charles Lee knows that that job's probably going to be that job's going to be available, or J- if we wanted to bring Jerry Stackhouse in or something, they know they they, they know that the Trailblazers early job start on recruiting, man. And then we the 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 Hawks fired Lloyd Pierce in March, so that that's a that's a month or month and a half advantage, actually two month advantage for Nate to get the Hawks playing like top five slowest in the league and. You know, they had more time to do a, a a legitimate scheme change. Now it's just like, we're going to run the stat system. There's no way we're implementing anything different. I think that's a little short-sighted. I think you can even, I mean, these are professional athletes, the best of the best. I, I think you can implement not wholesale change, but there are certain, I'm sure, differing philosophies that the assistant coaches have than, than Terry does. And again, what have we seen from the Memphis Grizzlies? They're not as talented as the Blazers, but those dudes scrap and they fight. They won that game just on heart alone. Heart yeah, can win you IQ some games. Feel for the game. Heart can win you games. That's all I'm saying is it's worth it. To me, I'm at the point of no return with, with this, with how things are going as status quo. I don't see any advantages of keeping it together. I would just see if it works. If it does, cool. If not, no, 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 you know, no loss on, on any of us here. Like we already knew what was coming. So, I mean, that's, that's where I would go, but to think ahead, what are you most looking forward to over the course of, of these, of these 20 games? It doesn't matter who the coach is. You said your only concern is health. Is there anything else that, that you wanted to see? I'd say health and development of players. I, I think that's where we're at. If it, it, I think this is the time where we play Nasir Little over uh, Mello. This is the time where 
we have to see Anthony Simons play a little bit more. I think that it's time to see the young guys develop. Speaking a little bit of more. Blazers playing well, Anthony's been playing really well lately. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the the shots going in, he's driving it a little bit more. I think that it's the, it's he's the getting confidence for me. What's it's up? the defense for me. He's hustling on defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I think there's still things to watch in terms of the Blazers. This you get to see Dame and CJ and Norm. See if that if that works. Um, I know we're going to be answering a question by me in, a, in later in the podcast. So I mean, there's things that we need to see if th- things work, and I think that it's time to develop those those young players that are on those cost control contracts. So there's definitely things that I'm looking forward to and it, in a financial sense like there's you know a month left of basketball before the playoffs so i'll probably do dfs every single day like there's things to look forward to in the season it's not all doom and gloom even though there's quite a bit of it if if nasir little provides you joy enjoy indulge in that i think that it's time for him to to take the leash off and really play him 30 minutes just to see what's popping would have been really cool if uh, he didn't rack up that did not play a uh, coach's decision against Memphis. I, mean, I, 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 I can't, I couldn't believe that happened as well. You, you, like you said, play with one of the biggest ceilings on this team gives us all every time he plays. And we basically played like eight guys, 30 plus minutes that game. I, I, that that's another discussion for another episode we've got a lot to cover but that that really kind of pissed me off to be honest when you when you see a a player like that not um even get get into the game but you said you had a question sage uh let's hear it man so i'm 420 i couldn't sleep so i started thinking about uh Why, why why couldn't you sleep there friend i smoked way too much hi mom um so you've been with the portland trailblazers before and you know uh ownership hasn't seen any gate revenue in a long long time it's been about a year and a half so thinking of that do you think that teams will be willing to trade their star players for parts when thinking about like all the pictures all the social all the press packets media social media posts i think franchises are going to want to look as good and as talented as possible for that precious gate revenue so do you think that star players are going to get traded during the offseason or do you think they're going to wait until the trade deadline t- to get traded? And that includes CJ because I feel like CJ is the second most popular player on the team. I don't think that fans would like it if CJ was gone for someone not as highly clouded as as CJ. What do you what do you think about star players getting traded? I looked at this question from a Blazer perspective through the lens of the Portland Trailblazers. And there's a few, few touch points. First of all, you look at where we're at as a society in terms of the coronavirus and the quarantine. We haven't had a game where fans have been readily um, attended. They have, they've not been in the stands since March, early March of 2020. So it's been about 14 months and counting since fans have been allowed to enter. So I honestly don't think it matters who is on the Blazers at this moment, what team is fielded. Fans are going to want to attend a game, at least for the next season, just to a feel that sense of normalcy, get back into their habits, uh, do things that make them happy. And like, you haven't done it for a year. So that itch to get back is even more 
um, incredible. Like you want to go back there and, and just experience what it's like watching a game with, you know, 20,000 other blazer maniacs. So I think the team has that in, in their favor. You also have to look at how, you know, Neil Olshay is, is going to, to view this roster as well. Um, will he want, yeah, if he's a GM, like, will he want to run it back with the, with, you know, a new coach? So I, I do think he is going to want another look at the Dame, CJ, Nurt core, plus a healthy Collins, Covington, and Powell. Like, they have a lot invested in Norman Powell. If you've read any of Jason Quick's pieces on the Atlantic, uh, just the recruitment that they're already doing on Norman to keep him in Portland, uh, making him feel at home. You know, when he returned back from his uh, road, first road trip with the team, the the house they had in Lake Oswego was completely furnished, had everything uh, from his favorite lemonade to his favorite wine, everything ready for his dogs. I mean, they they hired a service that would drive his dogs from Tampa, Florida to Portland, Oregon. I mean, they are rolling out their red carpet for Norman Powell. So I, I think initially that's going to be the team's focus is, okay, Let's get a new coach, the roster that Neil feels is good because GMs do have a sense of arrogance to their uh, to their job. He's going to try and, and and sell that. And I think that that works to a to a point, like bringing in a new coaching staff, especially if it's like a Becky Hammond. I mean, that that is a huge selling point to get the fans re-energized. Obviously, anytime, you know, you have a backcourt that has been together this long you've got a pretty good foundation, pretty good core. So that that's easy to sell. However, let's say Neil does decide to move CJ. I think you have to look at what's the return because fans could be turned off if it's only, you know, cap relief and picks in the return package, even if it's the right decision fans that most fans want, want to win now. Yeah. However, if it's for another player with good notoriety, Pascal Siakam, uh, Demona Sabonis, um, that the organization can sell and it improves the team, I think it would increase interest because I think there is actually, even though the arena would sell out due to it being over a year since we've all been there, I, I think just from reading, you know, multiple forums, Twitter, different fan perspectives, uh, my parents, you know, they're not on any of that, but I, you know, I talk to them daily, uh, even, you know, my wife, Olga, I, I get the sense that a lot of people are losing interest in this product, in this team. Feels very stale, very stagnant. Treadmill. We know where we're going, and it doesn't seem like we're getting there, um, getting to getting to our the, the real destination that we want to get to. So, just like on a, in a locker room with fans, winning cures all. It doesn't matter if we have a bunch of undrafted players. If you win, you're gonna find, you you can tell any story, Sage, if you're if you're winning a basketball game. I mean, Blazer fans went absolutely nuts for Chris Johnson because he blocked a Dirk Nowitzki shot in like a one playoff game. I mean, I saw jerseys for Chris Johnson the next year. I mean, he didn't even, he wasn't even on the team. But Blazer fans will go nuts for any player that can deliver a W. And then you have to also look at Damian Lillard. So the, the example was trading CJ. I think as long as Damian Lillard is is on on the team, it, it just doesn't matter. I mean, people will pack the arena to watch Lillard's prime years. So I don't think revenue or lost revenue would factor into a decision whether to trade or keep McCollum. I think it's all about team performance. And then if you look at it from 
an NBA perspective, I mean, you would have to go and look at the governors uh, of each team. Take Houston, for example. They didn't really care. They were all in cost cost cutting mode. They traded away Harden. They wanted a bunch of draft picks. They wanted Oladipo because he was on a expiring contract. So they didn't really care about the gate revenue. They cared about the bottom line in terms of, of the salary. Uh, thankfully, the Blazers are, I don't think they're as high as they were last year, where they were the first or second highest uh, payroll. We did, we're not in the luxury tax this year, which has been a huge talking point from, from Neil and uh, all of the members of the media covering the team. So you would have to look at each individual franchise to see whether they're going to trade their star players. I, I think it depends on what they're looking for, whether it's to cut the bottom line, to improve the roster. Um, but for the Blazers specifically, I think it will be to win. Like if, if as long as you have Damian Lillard on your team, that should be the primary decision maker. And I, I do think that that still is the case. Like, I don't think we're at the point where we're talking about trading Damian Lillard. I, we're, we're not there, but I would uh, caution all of Rip City that one, it's going to be an onslaught from the national media of get Dame out of Portland. And two, if I'm being honest, I, we're, we're not far away from it either. Just because we're not there doesn't mean we're, we're not far away. And I'm not talking about Dame could ask out or the team could start to really see the writing on the wall. Like we do have a lot of free agents in the next two off seasons. It, things can go south in a, in a hurry. Like we're, we're not even scraping the surface right now to how bad things we're, not, we're Yeah, we have not reached rock bottom. So we're not there yet, but uh, there's there's no denying that that it, it could come so just you know mentally prepare yourself i sure hope it doesn't come but um it might so i mean initially when i thought about this question i was thinking about bradley beal because his contract like it would behoove them to trade it in the next few months because of you know like you want to get something for the best player in your franchise history in the last like 15 years and then i thought about like washington and particular like you know if you traded Bradley Beal for draft picks and cap relief how would those DC fans feel about it then I thought about the the CJ McCollum thing I I really think that CJ if you if we got something of high value for CJ it would change but I think if like we traded for a manual quickly in a draft pick then it would be a negative thing for a lot of a lot of fans and Dame in particular like you're trading my boy of eight years for a young guy that's 20, 21, 22, who's going to suck for the next few years and won't help me. So I think that when if we traded CJ, it'd have to be for someone with more gravitas in their name. All right. First question comes from uh, Richard Mullen. So if I pronounce your last name wrong, Richard, I apologize. But he says, I listen to your guys' videos every week. First of all, thank you for that. Appreciate it. I want to know your take on how our superstar lets us lose five in a row to teams like Memphis and Charlotte. Where is the Dame time us fans know and love? I think he's hurt. I, I that that's where uh, uh, I'm at. I, I think he's injured right now and is provide is playing because he saw us lose a really close game and thought that he would be that margin for error and uh, hasn't been. So I, I think that he's still there. He's just injured right now what, what do you think I hope he is I mean that's a really messed up thing to say but it's gives me a lot more optimism that he'll he'll return to form 
next season. Um, I do think he's more banged up than alluding to. It seemed like every game, February through March, he was banging somebody's knee at least every other night. Um, also, I, I think I think he is hurt, but when I watch him out there, I don't think he's fully engaged. I, I don't know what it is. Like, I think there's something going on in the locker room. They're obviously being professional and tight-lipped about it, but there's something going on behind closed doors that, that we don't have access to, or we may, may never know. Because when I watch him out there and specifically like his passes, like he's, he's not dialed in. Like I, we've seen Dame dialed in last year is a great example. Like he knew we needed to get to the playoffs and like he did everything humanly possible 360 plus point performances. I mean, we saw that roster. It, it was bad. I mean, we're playing Jalen uh, Horde and, and Moses Brown and, you know, 36 year old Trevor Reza. We bring in Carmelo Anthony off of, you know, the waiver wire. I mean, the roster was, 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 was terrible. The roster's really damn good. Now I'm, I'm not seeing that same fire from Dame. Maybe he feels defeated. And again, I don't blame him for that because, you're only human and you can only fight that good fight for so long. But I think he sees the writing on the wall as well, where what Terry is trying to implement is not going to get it done. And, you know, we've all been at jobs before where Mm -hmm. you can try your damnedest, but maybe, you know, that project's not going to go the right way. And you're like, well, what's it for? I mean, you can only do it for the love of what you do for so long. So, I think there's something internally going on with the team and coaching staff. I don't know if we'll ever understand it or or find out, but along with health, I just, I don't think he's, he's focused. I don't think he's having fun out there. Frankly, I don't think the entire team has any joy when, when they play there's, there's very little joy. I mean, yeah, you'll see it when Cantor grabs 30 rebounds and the, the team's up, up in air and that, that's fantastic. But just, I don't know. Like I watched the Memphis Grizzlies and you know, Dylan Brooks is, is manufacturing beef. Like he's out there trying to start something to internally motivate himself and his team. And, and that, that team is gritty and they are fired up. I just watch the Blazers, how they start games. They're, they're not into it. I, I think they are extremely frustrated. It's, it's kind of reached a, a tipping point right now. And I, I don't think Dame's to blame. Um, but I don't know if the the Dame time that, that we saw earlier this year is, is coming back. Um, so again, I think it's a little bit injury and, and I don't think he's, he's fully locked in. I, I think there's something, something going on. And you think got to think that he's used a lot of energy keeping us in games for a lot of this year. I mean, our, our strategy offensively in the last three minutes is let Dame cook. So maybe, all of those games were Chicago where we should have been beating them by more, but had to Pelican get that game where yeah. he scored 50. And I, I remember James Harden after he got traded to Brooklyn, basically said it wore him down knowing that every night I had to go out there and score 40. The ball was in my hands. The defenses are keying in on me. I think that's another thing. Now that I say that out loud, Dame has been blitzed more than I can ever remember during a regular season. I think he's, tired of it i think he's tired of the strategy to 
figure it out. That hasn't came about. Um, I think there's just a lot of frustration and there's a lot of burden that comes with being Damian Lillard on the Portland trailblazers. Like he, while it is a very good roster, he still doesn't have that co-star where I think he can depend on, on a consistent basis. There's no knock on Nurk, no knock on CJ. It's, it's not there. He, he needs another co-star for this to work uh, long-term. So I just think there's a lot of frustration, probably a lot of uh, exhaustion. And, you know, it is a, it is a COVID season. He's also dealt with a lot of personal loss too. So maybe basketball just, and rightfully so, is not up there in terms of his priorities. And he has two brand new kids. Maybe he's not sleeping enough. There's so many reasons for why a player is having a ceiling game versus a floor game or why there's, you know, that uh, that standard deviation in each one of his games. So uh, what's, what's the second question? Last question for us is from Dana Ramoni. Thank you again for your question, uh, Richard. And I'm looking forward to answering this one from Dana, who always has uh, good questions. Wants to know, uh, why is Stotts so terrible at late game management? And why is there any, and is there any silver lining to be had in all of this? Um, you want to take the first part of that question? Uh, the, we've always had uh, difficulty adjusting. Look at the Pelican series, look at the Warrior series where they thought it was a good idea to let Steph Curry have open shots. Um, we've had, a tr- we've had trouble adjusting for years. Um, now that there's that negative regression in the games that we play where we lose, it just is, it, it's peaking its ugly head at us more and more every game, but it's always been a problem. There's always been that late game, uh, lack of adjustments. So, I mean, th- this is, this is who Terry Stotts is. He's mm-hmm. not going to magically become a better coach overnight. I mean, he's, I don't know if necessarily, I don't know if necessarily there are coaching peaks, but he's, I don't think there's any room for him to grow either. And that's just how he's, he's coached games. And I think also when you have a season like this and losses keep compounding one after another, it takes a toll on you mentally, physically, spiritually, whatever you want to look at it. And once you're kind of beaten down, you're not, you don't become as sharp. You don't start to think things, you know, one to two steps through, and you, you'll see things where, oh man, I should have kept that time out. Why did I challenge it here? Uh, you may be coached a little bit too emotionally in the heat of the moment. Um, but I think that's just, this is Terry Stotts and this is who he is. I, I think, you know, time's running out on his tenure in Portland and we're just going to have to wait until, until that, that expires. But to his second point, is there, are you seeing a silver lining to this stretch of basketball and ultimately this, this season that we've had in Portland's age? I think that it's forcing it's going to force change to happen. I think if we got the eighth seed or we made the playoffs and lost and it was kind of like normal, I think that we would have that opportunity to run it back. But because of the negative feelings between the fan base and Terry Stotts, I think that it forces a change to happen. And I think that it's, it's time. It's time for, Terry to find another job. And I think that he will find another job. He's a good offensive coach. It's just time for a different direction. And I hope that it's a, someone who can identify more with the players and the team. So uh, yeah, I think the silver lining is the force of change. I think the silver lining 
also has to do with with the change. We we've all kind of wanted to see it for for some time now. I think in the manner that it's happening, it's really forced Portland as an organization to have self awareness. Um, we talked about this a couple of episodes ago about there being a built-in excuse really every year since LaMarcus left. Even that year that LaMarcus, his last year, the West injury was the built-in, like every year there was a built-in built in excuse for Neil Olshay to sell to the fans. And, you know, we talk about stats a lot. Olshay is, is just as guilty. The summer of 2016, the draft in 2017, for everything right that he's done the past two to three years, what he did those two years ultimately really could have got us a championship. And I'm not speaking, you know, out of, out of hyperbole. You look at the players available where we were selecting. You think this team wouldn't be a contender without Bam Adebayo, quite arguably the defensive player of the year, or Donovan Mitchell, which would allow you to either trade him or CJ and get another person to have a real big three, like, just a massive cluster of, of decisions by Olshay that not only is Terry Stotts, his job is, is out, out there in the open, but I think Neil Olshay needs to be questioned too. Like if, if Toronto's GM, uh, Masai Ujiri is, is available as a free agent, that, that full court press, whatever the Vulcans have to do, get him. You need a general manager that is going to find a roster that is going to fit together. And as talented as this team is, they're not fitting. Is that just the coach? We don't know. But the fact that we're having these questions being asked is, is a positive. I also want to say that we've talked about this, I think, for the past two or three years, Sage, probably since the Western Conference Finals run, is the team still doesn't know a decision, a direction that they want to go in. Do they want to go all in or do they want to rebuild? Because we've done a lot of fence fence sitting and a lot you – know, you can look at Anthony Simons as a classic example of wanting to develop while also trying to compete. And you just really can't do that. The losing has forced the Blazers to choose a direction. And I think we will see that this summer. What are you going to do? It's clear the Damon CJ backcourt doesn't work. And that that's a tough pill for me to swallow because I love CJ. I love Damon. I love CJ. I love them together. But it's not working with, and I don't know if it can work. Um, I just don't know. So are you going to then rebuild or are you going to really go all in? And my final silver lining is, man, I I am now, I went from hoping we don't make the playoffs just because like, I didn't want to get embarrassed and I didn't think it'd be worth it. But I legitimately want a lottery pick now because that gives whatever GM we have more weapons to, to go out and either pick a direction if you have a lottery pick, you can rebuild really well, or you can trade that and, and go all in. So the Blazers, it has forced them to be aware of where they are as a franchise and that the fans are no longer content with just being a first round fodder. Like that, that is not an accomplishment. Just say, Oh, Terry Stotts, first blazer coach in history to take the team to seven straight, you know, playoff appearances, 16 teams make the playoffs. That's more than half the damn league. Okay. Like what, what more? So it has forced the team to really look in the mirror and judge what's there. I mean, it, when you bring up stats like that with Terry Stotts and his successes, that invites all this discussion. So if you're go- if if the team wants to talk about all the greatness of Terry Stotts getting these these playoff spots, you're inviting 
conversation about his weaknesses as well. Uh, one thing I want to talk about with Neil Osei is he's a good drafter. So it confuses me so that he's willing to trade these picks for players or other picks when he's a good drafter. So you're kind of like, yeah, I'm good at this, but I don't want to do it. Give me this veteran. It's a, it's it's just a it's just a weird thing that I'm noticing. He's you know he's got Gary Trent. He found Alan Crabb. He trades away second round picks like they're literally nothing. <laughs> There's always going to be a second round pick that uh, breaks through and is a good player. Malcolm Brogdon. We just watched Xavier Tillman play. You know the starting sad. role. So Marcus All. Yeah, Draymond Green. There's always these second round picks, and he's found he's found two of them when he's had those picks. But I don't think we have a second round pick for years, so it's just a weird thing. Um, I I I would love for us to just have that lottery pick, or you know, we we make our stand in the playoffs and win some games. But uh, those are I some really our good chance of getting a top four pick via the draft lottery are better than our chance of doing anything substantial in the postseason and if you know anything about those those lottery odds they're pretty slim so that's that's where i'm I'm feeling right now but sage let's look at the week that will be the blazers go on the tied for the longest road trip of the season a six gamer uh we'll talk about the first four uh tuesday wednesday back to back indiana and then memphis yet again friday at brooklyn against the nets with with kevin durant and Sunday, another showdown with the Boston Celtics, a team that beat Portland by one earlier this month. Um, Sage, we've been at it for quite a while so far in this podcast. So let's kind of rapid fire uh, what we're looking for in, in our predictions. Let, let's start it with the Indiana Pacers, um, a team that right now is in ninth in the Eastern Conference, 28 and 31. They are 17, or excuse me, 11 and 17 at home, but they smacked us pretty good early Have this season. Have you seen the, how injured they are, though? Yes. Yeah, I mean, Miles Turner is going to be out for sure. Demonis Sabonis yep. is going to be out, most likely. Uh, Gogo Batazzi, uh, their other center, has been questionable, and I think he was out the last two games. So they have been starting Jakar Sampson this uh, last game at the center position, and then Jose Brissett the game before that. And they're six seven, so looking at the height discrepancy, I expect Yusuf Nurkic to have a really big game. I think that he can that he's athletic enough to match up with the Indiana Smalls. I, I think they're going to run five out because the tallest player that's going to be active is six eight, unless Goga actually plays. But you know, Yusuf's going to handle Goga Batazzi. So I, I think that our height and our weight is going to be a humongous factor against Indiana with the lack of bigs that they have. Um, while while those bigs have been out, Malcolm Brogdon and Karis LeVert have been really, really productive. But if we're going to pay Robert Covington and DJJ and Norman Powell in the future, they need to shut down Malcolm Brogdon and Karis LeVert in this game. So I, have a, I think that the Blazers have to win this game. They just have such a humongous mismatch against a very small Indiana, uh, Indiana team. So I rapid fire. I think we're going to, we're going to beat the shit out of the Pacers. Oh, I have got a Pacer victory. They last I checked, they still have TJ McConnell and last I checked, they still have uh, TJ McConnell. The logger. 
no, sorry. Olga was asking if I wanted a beer and absolutely. Yes. Um, especially after that game. So yeah, they still have TJ McConnell. He is like a Dylan Brooks. He's going to play with energy. I don't know what Blazer team is going to come out. Are they going to be excited to play? Uh, like you said, they still have Brogdon. They still have Levert. Levert by himself nearly beat us last year in the bubble. So he is that nice. And should we win? Absolutely, Sage. But we should have been winning all over this this past week. I, I've got the Pacers uh, getting this victory. Um, so and then we play... A team with the tallest dude, 6'8", is going to beat us? That, that I mean, if it happens, that's going to make me a very sad panda. I, I, I have zero faith in this team right now. And I, again, I'm not trying to be too down. I feel like I've, I've, I've stayed par for the course. I'm, I'm not mad where we're at. I'm just, you know, call it like we see it on, on this podcast. And until I just, see... Just so everybody knows, I am kicking his ass in projections. <laughs> uh, I beat you last week, though. Yeah, but I'm still I'm still ahead. <laughs> All right. Up next is Memphis. Don't need to talk about this one too much. We, we've seen how well they like to get into the paint. They will probably have Jaron Jackson Jr. for this game. Balanchunas clearly back from the concussion protocol. Uh, we don't have an answer for John Morant. Uh, they 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 embody grit and grind. New doesn't matter. New franchise cornerstone. New coach and Taylor Jenkins. Yeah, they still play like it's uh, Zebo, Marcus and Tony Allen, Mike Conley running point. Uh, Just I at a much faster really, pace. Yeah, I actually really am impressed with with Memphis. So, is there anything else that Portland can do to get a victory, Sage? I mean, they put themselves in positions to potentially win. Um, I think that if Damian Lillard plays the way that we know Damian Lillard can play. And if we add enough variance to the game and enough randomness, absolutely, we can we can beat anybody if the randomness and variance are on our side. So there's like no team is a zero percent chance. So I think there's absolutely a chance to win. It's just will the things that enable us to win happen? I don't know. I would project that the the uh, you know I'm going Blazers win against Memphis. All right, this is going to be a great week for me to pick up some games on you because uh, if we couldn't beat them at home, there's no way we're beating them on the road on the second night of a back-to-back. Uh, we need to do a much better job at the point of attack, defending Memphis, not allowing them to get into the paint, um, just just living down there. And if we could win, the key is Yusuf Nurkic. Can we continue to get a big night out of him? Uh, he may rest against the Pacers because he hasn't been playing in both games of the back-to-back. The team probably views the Memphis game as more critical, so I could see them them doing that. But I think we'll, get, we'll know if Yusuf's out either game. They've been really good with his minutes, minutes limit reporting this year, which kudos to them. They usually never do that. So I, I just want to see the team match personnel. Like it, It's tough watching Memphis run up and down the court like Portland has to limit their turnovers. Memphis, number one league in points off of turnovers. Uh, they thrive off of that. Can Portland match their energy? I mean, it'll, it will be Memphis's first home game back after, I think, a seven-game road trip. But you got to figure they're a young team, and they're fully bought into what that coaching staff is preaching. And they can sense blood in the water right now. That They are nipping at the heels of Portland. Like, if you're in the play-in, you want to be seven or eight, so you only have to win one game. Mm-hmm. Nine and ten forces you to win two, so there is a lot riding there that I think Memphis will be will be ready to go. Um, 
Friday, we have the Brooklyn Nets, uh, a team that beat us already in Portland this year without Kyrie and KD. It's going to be a little bit flipped. It'll be no Harden, but Kyrie and KD will likely play. Uh, how does Portland even begin to defend this team with two superstar shot creators just littered with uh, shooters around the perimeter? I mean, that this one's going to be extraordinarily tough for us to defend. We're one of the worst defenses in the league. It's going to be a fast-paced game, which means that Kyrie and uh, KD are going to have more possessions with the ball. Um, obviously, there's a chance we win, but if I'm a betting man and since we are keeping track of wins and losses, I would go Brooklyn win. Um, I think that there's a better chance with Harden out that we have a that we can win because I think Harden pushes it way too far uh, in their favor. So maybe Katie's on a minutes limit or doesn't play. I don't know. There's always the chance that we win, but I would put my money on the Brooklyn victory. Yeah, Brooklyn scored a pretty nice victory over, I, I would say, a red-hot Phoenix Suns team uh, just this afternoon by, by nine points, putting up 128 in the process. I would say we would have a chance if Dame was at his his normal self. I, I think Dame can go toe-to-toe with any player in, in the league. But with Dame not 100% in the production, his output not at 100%, we clearly don't have a defense that we can you know rely on or, or hang our hat on, so to speak. So, yeah, I, I think the only way that, you, that the Portland wins is if Durant is on a severe minutes restriction and Kyrie shoots them out uh, of the game. He doesn't get his teammates involved. Um, we could get hot from three. We, we've seen us uh, do it before, but, you know, we've been, we've been pretty, pretty ice cold. I, I, think, I think we lose. Um, it's just a tough matchup. If Paul George gave us that work, uh, Kevin Durant's two, two three times player that, that PG is. So we just don't have anybody that can defend that. I mean, frankly, nobody on this planet can, can defend that. So that's just uh, kind of have to tip your cat cap and uh, move on, which would be the Boston Celtics on Sunday. I know a neato stat before we go into the Celtics. Without James Harden on the floor, Kyrie Irving has like a 40% assist percentage. So if he didn't get his guys involved, that goes against the numbers completely. But Boston Celtics. A team that's playing really well as of late, although they've lost two straight. They did strongly on uh, the road, including a, a victory earlier this this month against our Blazers, uh, 106-105, um, you know, the game that came down to the wire. What do the Blazers do differently this time around? Because we talked about it when we previewed that game initially, that if the three-card lineup doesn't work against Boston, it's not going to work. You're, you're facing the same core. Um, they're smaller with Robert Williams down there, but they seem to be winning uh, with that change at, at the center position. Kemba has been playing well as of late. Obviously, Tatum exploded for that 50-piece a while back, and they have Jalen Brown, who torched us in the bubble. And Marcus um, Smart's going to probably be up for this game. Going so against Dame. where do the Blazers go here? Because you have a Boston team that is tied in the loss column with Miami for that sixth place out East. So they've got a lot to play for as well. Um, where do we go here from here, Sage? I, th- I think it's a use of Nurkic week. Robert Williams is 6'8". So take advantage of his God-given height advantage and go attack him. He is a foul monster. So if you can draw fouls, you're going against Tristan Thompson and that that I think our biggest mismatch is at our big position. We do have two 
legitimately good players that need minutes in this league. So I would attack the Boston bigs, force them into foul trouble, play inside out, and Damian Lillard has to be uh, the the Damian Lillard that we know and love him as. But I, I think Yusuf Nurkic has to be the big man. Who do you have winning this game? I have the Boston Celtics. Yeah, I, I have Boston as well. Um, if I remember that game correctly, we had nobody to match up with Tatum, not even Covington. But we also did ourselves no favors by not playing Covington in the final five yeah, minutes of that game. It was Mello, Norm, CJ, Dame, and Nurk. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to find a better lineup out there. Maybe it's Nasir Little. Maybe it's Derek Jones Jr. Maybe it's Rondé Hulse Jefferson off the bench. Like Portland needs to get more, I think, urgent. And, and I think you can find a spark if you start playing these guys who are young, who are looking to get another contract, who are looking to prove themselves. Um, we just need to be switchable. We need guys who can get out in transition, who can stop transition points. Um because if we try to just trot out a regular defense, uh, JT's going to have a, a big night. Um, Kemba seems to always play well against us in mm-hmm. a Celtic uniform. We have, we have trouble against those jitterbug quick point guards. And exactly. that, that, that's Kemba Walker. If you look at the dictionary, that Kemba Walker's in a show as a really fast lightning bug point guard. I mean, I hate to be super. Uh, Are you own fouring de- it? Did I be done? I am own fouring it. Absolutely. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, at the, at this point, I think that's the, I hate to say it, the best case Is that scenario. the optimal thing that happens this week? Is we own for it? I want, I don't think we can catch New Orleans in the, or New Orleans can New catch Orleans, us. You just, aren't catching New Orleans in the last column. I have a feeling no. that they're going to have some contact tracing in the next few days. Just a guess. Um, I think Portland's most realistic optimal scenario is falling the 10th and just getting it over with in one playing game, getting lucky in the lottery or just even getting a lottery pick. But I mean, we're only two games up on golden state. And again, we're on the six game road trip and it doesn't get any easier when we come back. Do you have um, a guy that you want at 10? No. I mean, I got to start doing research or again, it, it depends. What kind of coach do we get? If yeah, we get a I new mean, coach? It, it absolutely depends. Like, if, do we have a new GM? Like what direction are we choosing? But yeah, I mean, I got to start brushing up on my draft prospects, but if um, we got 10, this, I, Moses Moody is my preferred guy, but this, this blazer this fan a, can do without the first round embarrassment. So I am desperately hoping we do not get embarrassed in the first round and, and you can't get embarrassed in the first round if you don't make the first round. So I know that's a, a bit of a bummer to hear. It's a bit of a bummer to talk about, but again, the Blazers are who we are. Like I, time's running out, Sage. It's been, it's been running out. You have 12 games left. I, I just don't know if you can magically turn something around when it's going in, in the opposite direction. Um, I haven't seen it and I don't know if it's coming back this year. So I'm, I'm trying to, find a bright side. And the bright side for me is a lottery pick. If, if making the playoffs is a bright side for you, then more power to you. That mm-hmm. That's, I mean, we're all watching, we're all fans. There's no right or wrong way to do this. So just enjoy what you enjoy. And, you know, we'll be back week over week. We're, we're here, you know, win, loss or tie like every, every week. So um, say, do you want to wrap this one up? Yeah. Uh, we are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Himalaya podcast. There we go. <clears throat> Dash radio, nothing but net radio. Uh, give us a nice review on iTunes. Um, 
five star it leave a nice comment we'll appreciate it we'll read it thank you to all of you who've listened we'll be back next week wherever you may be this is bill shinley good night everybody let's go